Right then, today we are delving into Year 7, Theme 3, all about connections, trade, uh, an inquiry planned by Mr. Joshua Valens. Um, what is our inquiry question today, Josh, and what is the second order concept? Hello, gents. Um, the inquiry question is how can we explain the success of the Mongols? And the, the second order concept is causation. And I'm glad you brought up the theme um, because the the theme that like theme of empire connection and trade is important because at this point year seven's understanding of the world in terms of what we've given them in history is like latin christendom then like some kind of eastern mediterranean stuff and just creeping into the east via baghdad and then what this half term does is we go really far east with the mongols and we go right the way to china and we open up the map and then we go south into West Africa with Mansa Musa. So by the end of these of this half term on these two inquiries, like pupils understanding of the world has just grown and we've like zoomed out on our map. So it's quite fun in that sense. So, Josh, I'm going to jump in right here and say I'm, this is my most excited unit that I am waiting for this year. I've been waiting for the Mongol unit all the time. Um, you've been planning it. So just tell me about it. Geek out about it for a minute. What's your favourite bit about it? Yeah, I mean, so I, I first I was first planning on and, and Rob and I, when we were putting together a long term plan last year, we were we had this marked as a Silk Roads unit. And we thought about doing this big breadth study of the Silk Roads. And then and that was you know that was the plan. And when I started planning this, however many months ago now, and I started doing my reading. And my conception of the Silk Roads was basically not what <laughs> You know what, what not what it was uh, um no well not reality really uh and kind of what rob and i thought we were going to do with the silk roads isn't really possible because that's not really what scholarship was about and i remember speaking with rob and saying mate all anyone seems to be talking about with the silk roads is <laughs> like finding stuff in in caves and it was all really really interesting and kind of how you find out more about the silk roads i do think there's a really interesting inquiry there but my idea of this like one like trade route from the east to west just you know, didn't exist and actually the more reading i did the more it became apparent particularly from Frankopan silk roads the more it came apparent that the silk roads really are this like network that ebb and flow over time um and that a really interesting period that allowed us to do what we wanted which is expand the map and connect places and cover a fair amount of time a really interesting period was the 13th century and 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 the mongols and mongol expansion um across the silk roads at that time so that's why we decided that's why i settled on the mongols if like it wasn't a, a deliberate choice it just it, it just came about on, on account of reading the scholarship and then in terms of geeking out i knew we again i i was kind of aware that that causation felt like the natural fit here because lots of the stuff that scholars are, are kind of it's like there's a very very nascent uh scholarship with regards to the to the mongols there are lots of people who are challenging lots of long-held misconceptions and i think the big misconception people have is that they're just barbarous and terrifying and, that's it. and i'm not denying the fact that they're barbarous and terrifying by the way like there are some horrific stories but um certainly you know that's not it and and so therefore we need to dig deeper and what historians are doing now is starting to dig deeper and say well actually you know this is the largest land empire ever assembled so it can't just be because they're scary and and brutal there must be more to it and and what 
what else is there to it? And then actually, as soon as you open that can of worms, it just gets really exciting. And you, and, and and certainly that's where the scholarship led me. And I think just jumping in there, Josh, as you said, like we discussed loads of this, like Silk Road's really kind of excited by that idea. Um, but as with every other unit we've planned, it's like led by the scholarship, right? And that, that changes, you know, you can have this idea of what it's going to be and you go and you do your reading. Obviously, it depends kind of what you end up reading and the, you know, the, the breadcrumb trail you follow. But everything we've we've planned has been been led by that and, and the scholarship. And as you said, then you're like, oh, well, causation becomes the natural fit because when you're doing the reading, that's what's that's what's coming up and where that where that emphasis is. Right. And, and in, in a way, like that idea of the Silk Roads that I had in my mind, that actually is also most um, applicable to that region and period under the Mongols. Like that, right. there is like really strong trade. The Pax Mongolica, is, as like some historians call it, that like peace that they engender across this enormous empire because they've got such control over everywhere. Like trade really does flourish at that time. So we this is this is also a unit on the silk roads in in many ways yeah and explicitly like in the first lesson like the silk right. roads are brought up and the, the, the misconception of the idea of one road it, it is kind of challenged yeah. and, and they are there so i think yeah. if anyone's kind of like thinking oh, well, i should disappear completely i wanted to teach about it it's like no it's in that first lesson it's established and i really like it in that first lesson where you know you talk about the amazing trade in different goods and specifically obviously like silk which is where the, the kind of name of it comes from and then you've got that wonderful transition in it uh that's was it 1258 talking about what's coming towards baghdad it's like yeah but there's something else coming down the silk road and i just yeah. love that setup of yeah it is one of like trade and communication and and and, and goods and stuff but something else is coming and that is a really juicy bit to then jump off into I, I, I one I of those stories that's such a fun way to start this inquiry because i think you're right like they there, there is that nice setting up of the silk roads and, and we kind of bridge together some of the stuff they have and then the sack of baghdad and, and the mongols coming down the silk roads towards baghdad you just hope that's really going to resonate with our like with our children who've who've obviously learned lots about this amazing city and have encountered it already. And you know, that extract is juicy as well. You know, in that extract, we've got stories of um kind of scholars in the house of wisdom being hurled into the river and they're they're like, you know, the water in the river running black with ink on account of all of the books that are thrown in and and I'm, I'm hoping my year sevens are going to gasp with horror at the idea. I think, who on earth are these people that are hurling all of this ancient wisdom um, into river and, and sacking the city in this way? So the other kind of element of that, that sack that's really, really important is that, you know, it's probably it's possibly inconceivable in our students' minds that a city as extraordinary as Baghdad uh, is going to be totally at the mercy of another group of peoples and really like you know the, the the mongol warriors roll up the caliph in a carpet and then have their horses stamp all over him because they're you know uh, uh, they're kind of forbidden to spill blood of the religious leader so you know who does that to the caliph you know, the end of that lesson is just like who on earth are these people that have managed to do this like kind of amass this extraordinary area of land and trample along in this extraordinary city I just I, I I'm like taken away sometimes by the story. So I've been able to like teach a little bit when you've like I've been preempting with our year nines and you had shared the stories and like you get to the bit. I think I adapted a little bit. So instead of Nishapur, which I think you look at in your story, we're yeah. looking at like Bukhara, which is on the same stretch of road in like when they're conquering outwards. And you get to this bit where I love the flipping from here's the empire. Right. 
here's a group of nomadic tribesmen that are shepherds yeah. all effectively shoving <laughs> yeah. squirrels into their coats to keep warm yeah. and then you literally within 20 years it's like hang on a minute but they're not even riding horses wait a trebuchet what what's going on um right. it's like the students no, and, and, are like, massive. i think you know i think all great inquiries are built around this idea of you know of, of a problem that needs solving and a problem that like almost gets more complicated as you go through and this really does feel like a problem that, that I th think it will feel like a problem that needs solving to our students because they start off with, you know, this this horde coming down to Baghdad and sacking the city. And then you're right, it's very quickly flipped and we go right the way back in time to the nomadic people on the step. And it's, well, hang on a second, how on earth have, have, have these group of nomads who have got really serious tribal differences as well that are ultimately meaning that they they're confined to the steppe um how on earth have they amassed such a huge area of land in in such a short space of time and the thing that mark hit on there that was really really important and is important throughout this inquiry and is certainly something to hammer is that idea of adaptability and that's that's just one of the, the main things that comes through from the scholarship is that the mongols uh, under genghis khan were you know and, and his ancestors were hyper adaptable and the the little drawing we've got in the anthology of the trebuchet that's used at the siege of um, Xinjiang, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I've got, really got no idea. Um, the plans for which were found in the city of Antioch and um, some Muslim engineers were taken over to help construct those trebuchets. But the, the very fact that you have nomadic peoples who are, are like set up for our students as they should be as, you know, pastoralists they're on their horses they're in their tents the fact that you have them constructing these mighty siege engines based off kind of cutting edge design for the time and using them to take entire cities with enormous walls is fairly astonishing and i think it speaks to that idea of their constant adaptability their willingness and desire to change and evolve in order to stay on top I think when I've, it's been really useful me having to get a chance to teach this before it comes out to year nine. And when having a conversation with you about adaptability and even at the beginning, I was like, we've had this conversation. I, I was going to do, and we were pinging back resources. And I was like, I'm going to do one lesson on Gagas Khan, like where he comes from, stuff like that. And I got told the other day, it, it was, it, the comparison was of bringing a student from China now from a school and getting them to learn about kings and queens. Yeah. And culturally, they don't have that awareness of like yeah. what a peasant is, what a king looks like, what a knight looks like, because of like culture, fairy tales, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like sending our students to China and expecting them in a lesson to know what a momad monadic, uh, momadic, Mongol who's nomadic looks like is really hard. And we spent two lessons going, well, Siberia's in the north of Mongolia. You've got the Gobi Desert. You've got these steppes. And it took two lessons, but they are so good at using the word adapt now with like the yeah. direct and that conversation helps me teach it so that in terms of i was gonna ask you what would you emphasize i think that idea of adaptability is like so integral right like getting that right from the start is really really important and you see it even you know the the first so the second lesson but the first real lesson that's that's addressing the rise of the mongols is about genghis khan uniting the mongols and that you know there's there's evidence of the adaptability there as well because uh he's doing things that, that the nomadic people on the steps haven't done before. And it's like a meritocratic army using the Roman system, um, like very, very good at swallowing enemies and converting his enemies into his soldiers and like basically deconstructing tribal allegiances and having everyone fight 
for him. And there's all sorts of like interesting ways that he does that. It's about like you know, shaving heads, shaving beards, separating people who are connected and related to each other. Um, so that all loyalty is funneled up to Genghis Khan. But but what's interesting, you know, in in that certainly my perception was you're taken over by the Mongols. I mean, you're, you're toast. Like, yeah. bye -bye. And actually, you know, more often than not, you're taken over by the Mongols. And uh, if you are foolish enough to have really like fought against them and, and kind of had a last stand, then you're toast. But um, actually, more often than not, what we see is their terror being so pronounced that people kind of hold their hands up. And then, and, you know, and then some men are swallowed into their army and the tribal allegiances are broken down. And then, you know, when they expand out in, in terms of taking cities, those cities are largely protected because they're making the Mongols lots of money. They are like allowed their own administrators. The tax is incredibly low in those cities. So, so the, the example that's given in this inquiry is, is Samarkand. And, and when we move through and get to the point where the Mongols have taken over loads and loads of land, we have this lesson where it's like, you know, are they tolerant or are they terrifying? How do they rule this enormous empire? And of course, it's a combination of both. But the, you know, the, the case of Samarkand is probably both in one, in that they take control of the city. It's a really valuable city along the Silk Roads. Um, it's like it, it kind of trading post, as it were. Historic, amazing, beautiful. And they come and all of the soldiers who fought against the Mongols are slaughtered. Uh, lots of the buildings are destroyed. And then a Chinese monk visits the city about 50 years later and remarks on like the amount of people from across like the Eurasian basin, essentially, who are now in the city. So you have kind of other Chinese, uh, like you have Chinese pastoralists out on the farms. You've got people from Europe visiting the city. And all of a sudden the city has just become this real melting pot because the Mongols have provided this blanket of security because everyone is so scared of them. <laughs> the, that you know, there really is an ease of movement. And I think there's one line that was repeated in all of the source material and all the scholarship, which is someone wrote it somewhere. And it's this, that a maiden could carry a nugget of gold from, um, from Russia to China and, and be unharmed during the Pax Mongolica. Um, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't dare get in the way of the Mongols and their, and their like trading security. Oh, sorry, you're going. Well, I was just going to say, I, was, uh, I think I said it to you. I, I had a, the article I sent on um, cross-dressing during the English Civil War the other day. And part of the reason for that was because women were scared to, you know, walk around during the Civil War. So what, what, one of the reasons what might happen to them, I think, provides a really nice contrast. And as you say, this, this difference between, like, terror and, like, toleration. And actually, mm. the, the, the terror is in the, the, the conquest and sometimes not even needing to, to back up yeah. the terror too much. But um, sometimes they do it because I think one of the great things they have about i think is it when they invade beijing two years later someone goes and they say the the streets are still slippery yeah, with human fat, fat. Yeah. um and there's all these amazing details from it which obviously is terror terrifying and vicious and violent and ferocious um kind of people but as you said this this contrast with then yeah uh, you know a maiden be able to walk with a nugget of gold uh, and that and that drawing out which I think a lot of what we were trying to do, like the nuance of history, that yeah. you can't just define one group of people as, as one thing. There's far more nuance to it than that. And that the Mongols are a great way to to show that like Silk Road of how that can can happen. They're not the only reason for it, but how that can, can happen because they are you know, adaptable. And I think also just it, it sets up what in year eight, so much of the Mughal Empire of being able to make those comparisons between it. Obviously, it's 
bewilderingly than being a direct descendant of you know Genghis Khan and Intima, but but also the fact that um, Akbar does the same thing where like his massive army just means people say, yep, we'll become part of your empire, yeah. but they're nowhere near as good as actually consolidating empire. And a lot of them, um, yeah, you, you end up like losing empire because they don't do the same things. And we're not necessarily being really explicit about that, but you've got those connections that you can be thinking about as a teacher and you can be making with this already, which I think is the joy of the The things that I found astonishing, you mentioned there, the, the kind of, ruling over an empire and actually holding an, an empire and you're right in the in the moogles inquiry it's this constant story of like gains lost gains lost and um with the mongols it's this astonishing story of kind of genghis khan gaining and then his descendants gaining more and then his descendants kind of falling out and have just gained so much that they've now got these multiple khanates as they were called across like asia and europe and there's just Mongol influence absolutely everywhere and on that one I think with regards to administration there were just some there were some really like interesting nuggets from the reading that again just really challenged my own thinking with regards to the Mongols and the first the first is is like the city of Karakorum that they build that and they you know obviously they're not city builders they are a nomadic people but they they have to build some kind of permanent space which I thought was interesting because um actually largely speaking it was to like house foreign dignitaries and, and and show to like foreigners that oh yeah, yeah okay we have got a central like a, a central place to rule from but the reality is they still kind of moved around uh, a lot and, and the Khan generally moved around a lot there's these amazing sources of of visitors to Karakorum um you know who are astonished by again the mix of people that are there and also the status of people that are there there's this this one source where you have emissaries from like caliph uh the pope um like kind of multiple people in china that are all going to um karakorum to swear allegiance to the khan uh which i guess just shows like the 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 kind of depth of um yeah the, the depth of impact they had yeah i mean the other thing that was interesting about karakorum is because it's basically set up for foreigners is you have right next to the khan's tent you have like two churches and then you have a mosque the other side and then you've got like three buddhist temples and they were really really like quite clever in not getting dragged into any of the religious beef that was happening elsewhere in the world and they were kind of play people off against each other the pope kept on writing <laughs> the, um i can't remember which one it was i think it was kublai khan the pope kept on writing it was like i yeah. think you should really be a christian <laughs> really do it and he was like but tell me um how like you know my father and my father's father have taken so much land and have been so profitable and so successful. Why would your God help me? Like, <laughs> what, what What is your God going to do? <laughs> um, in terms of like, even just like some historical fiction, like getting some of the elements of like the Marco Polo series on Netflix and like seeing the court and seeing one, because I know it's not something maybe next year, but like Mongol queens and actually how yeah. much influence a Mongol queen has. But the fact that you've got these Hindi econo economists from like India, like over there. And then he's like, oh, but Marco Polo, you're a Christian. Yeah, I'd like to see you. Oh, can your Pope bring me some oil from Jerusalem? Like a flippant <laughs> ask of just, and then uh, I was teaching the other day and saying how it's the same with the maiden with the nugget. And it's like, he gave Niccolo Polo, said, go back to your Pope. Here's a passport, a gold bar with my name on it. And he walks through a Muslim land like that's just post a crusade completely unscathed because no one will touch him yeah it's just insane 
Yeah, no, like honestly, it, it it was it was such a fun inquiry. I'm so excited to teach it. It was such a fun inquiry to do the reading for because it, it it just challenged so much of my own thinking. Um, but before we we go, I I did want to touch on kind of the 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 like second order concept and the disciplinary thinking that I think students are going to need for this. Um, so this is their second encounter with causation. If we think their first encounter was in the Crusades, and really what that did, I think at a basic level that's setting up the idea of there are multiple causes of things you know it doesn't really go that far beyond that but year seven leave with that understanding what this inquiry does and and, and almost every lesson as a causal diagram is complete what this inquiry does is for students to really see the connections between causes so um you know we've already kind of spoken through some of those examples there but the idea of um, their, their military being so strong and terrifying, actually that allows them to be tolerant because they don't have to fight all the time. And then that tolerance is kind of easing the, the like levels of administration and so on. And so there's loads and loads of kind of little nudges between the, the causes that I think will be really interesting to explore with year seven. And I think it's one of those things where as a teacher, you want to do those diagrams like having yeah. like read it and, and done the lesson that you having sat down and thought about it and then like we can sometimes do some of the language if we think this would be good to use but what language did you use to explain those connections yeah. that's the language that you as a teacher should then be directly instructing and and like getting your students right. to use and that's the power of it rather than just kind of oh well this is the we've stripped back on lots of the language but the, the i'm just looking through now the the words that are explicitly taught in this are adaptable tolerant meritocratic and they are all just really fundamental words if you're going to understand how the mongols were successful which is what we're asking them to do yeah but i'm, uh, I'm excited to teach it <laughs> so excited to teach it um i was gonna say uh, this is a really redundant question because i think we could all answer this josh what was the one resource that helped improve your subject knowledge about the mongols and i'm thinking maybe peter frankopan might be said here so frank frankopan's just We've all got to read Frankopan and we've all got to do it as soon as possible. And I can't, keep, I, I yeah. keep banging that drum, but honestly, so much of our curriculum is built on that work and that work covers like 1,500 years. So it's just so worth reading. Funnily enough, the, um, there's a really good documentary that I, I need to put on the subject knowledge support document that I found quite recently. And it only charts the first, so it kind of covers the first two lessons in this inquiry, but it charts um, Genghis Khan, when he was Temujin, the young, um, the young boy on the steps, right the way up to him taking Beijing. And throughout that documentary, you get the kind of tribal differences, you get a bit of adaptability, you then get him uniting the people of the steps, and then you get him really sacking and ravaging the city. Uh, so you kind of get everything in that documentary. And it's only an hour, and it's like great watching. That sounds great, actually. It's good to have a documentary. It's like one of the resources for a <laughs> um do you want to say anything else no just uh yeah i think it's excited uh, excited to teach it i think really great coming back to causation having done it and building on it which we want to see in the second order concepts and that you know as we'll see we've got those substantive concepts me just thinking those like three big narratives power migration and agency it's quite clear to see where they are like in this the khans themselves with that kind of agency that they take doing something that other tribal leaders hadn't, hadn't done before you know but power in this case us maybe thinking this is you know one of the most powerful empires ever because of the, mm. the terror and then not having to fight and then not having to choose about which religion to 
you know lean to and, and that type of thing and then that kind of idea of migration as well that again a, a quite aggressive migration but then it allows this spreading yeah. of ideas and things quite freely and uh, liberally although obviously that term wasn't quite invented then but i think you can just see those narratives through as well and it's always useful to think where do those big narratives like fit yeah, in this inquiry how does the inquiry fit in those big narratives even if it's not always going to be explicit but yeah just excited to teach it